Good morning. Our reading today is 2 Timothy 2 verses 1 through 7, or 2 verses 1 through 7. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You may be seated. Thank you, Dave and Christy, and all you do to serve our church, and Dave as an elder here, and what that takes uh, for a couple to do, you're, you're much loved. I'll keep your finger open to 2 Timothy 2 there. <clears throat> and it was uh, back in 2003, I graduated high school, and I knew that college was something I was supposed to do. Uh, but I only applied to one university, uh, Florida Atlantic University. Everyone said, well, why did you, as a Northeast Ohio boy, apply to Florida Atlantic University? I said, that's a very easy answer. It was in Boca Raton. Uh, I got out my map. I said, Boca, I was looking at the campuses that were closest to the beach where I could have a nice life, and I said, that's for me. And I looked back at my parents, I'm like, how did you, what, what, how'd you let me do that? And they said, well, you were just so stubborn. Uh, so, and, and that is true. And I suppose if you asked him, well, my parent, I was going to come back and help out the family business, which was an insurance business. So I was going to go away for four years and do my own thing and have a good time. And, and that's the way it was going to be. And so I get down there, but, you know, late August, as college freshmen do, and I was, uh, you know, counseled enough and raised in a Christian home that I found a, a good Bible church. They said, you go down to Boca, but we want you in Boca Raton Community Church every week. And we don't find you in Boca Raton Community Church on a Sunday, young man. Home to Ohio, you come. I said, that's a good deal. So I went to Boca Raton Community Church, and I listened to the pastor. I listened to him in September, and I listened to him in October. And something began to happen. I thought, well, all these things my parents have been teaching me, now here I am, and it's kind of like, is this stuff really true? Uh, is it really a, a viable option for living? Is this really, uh, you know, what you do when you follow Jesus? And so what I did, and about mid-November, so made it a few months, I work up the courage to send off what was effectively a thank you letter to the pastor. You know, I still have it. It's something like, you know, what you're preaching about Jesus from the Bible makes a lot of sense to me. I find it quite gripping, and thank you for, you know, steering me this clumsy college freshman the right way. Lo and behold, then, what happens is I get a call, as I remember it somehow, in, in my college dorm or whatever, said, well, from the, the administrator at the church, and they said, well, Pastor Burnham would like to meet you, Mr. Shaw. And I said, wow, you, there's been a terrible mistake. I, just, I was just trying to express my gratitude. I really didn't want to meet the pastor. Uh, <clears throat> so I am sympathetic to all of you. <laughs> so the day was set, and uh, in I go. And sit down across from, hard to believe that when I met him, he was 38. I was 18, he was 38. I'm now 38. 
And Pastor Burnham said, young man, thank you for the note, and here's what I propose. That we will walk through some themes from the Bible. Uh, I'll give you some things to read, some Bible passages to read. You're going to write an essay for me, and uh, we'll meet every month. If you miss a month or don't write a paper, no more. What do you say? And I said, I'm in. And so I began to write papers for Pastor Burnham on what he would call Christocentric theology, how every Old Testament theme is fulfilled by Jesus, and I would do this every month, and I'd produce a paper. And at first, it was very much mentor-student, very much so. But what happened is, as I would do this, we started to get to know each other a little bit, that there was a warming up to each other, that there began to be um, a little bit more fun. As the months would go by, I found myself eating a meal with his family in his home. As time would go on, that kind of thing would happen a little bit more regularly. He started to introduce me to his friends. You know, now we're at it. You know, here I am still at Boca, year one, year two, year three, year four. I'm still at it. We developed this relationship. Now, it's hard to believe that last February that this man, Jonathan Burnham, came to do our, uh, led our elder retreat, if you remember that, that we're still in touch. I've, you know, been invited with him in, in a number of places through his international uh, mission organization. The point I'm raising this is that this, I didn't know it at the time, but this kind of thing in our faith has a very specific name, that this is what we call discipleship. It's when somebody more mature in the faith invests in somebody in an intentional way to replicate their faith, to do so with their time and all that God has taught them in their experience, and say that is a discipleship relationship. And when you look at the mission of the church, you know, you say, well, I, I just like here I am at a church, you know, just a place. Say, no, we, we've got a very deliberate mission. And I've tried to say the church isn't just the coming together, as important as that is, but it's the people of God doing the mission of God. And if you have, as we do here, a high view of a big God to think he's, for whatever reason, called us together as a church family in this place, in God's little, little in this time of all world history, in this little speck of land called Avon, Ohio, and we represent King Jesus for a very short time in this part of the world. What are we going to do about that? Is your view of that, you, you come hear me talk for 25 minutes a week? Say, no, we need to be on mission, and our mission, you know, go back to Matthew 28 when Jesus says, go, go and make disciples. See, Christians, throughout our faith, we understand that there's something, there's a, a command on our life to go and replicate followers of Jesus. We could say a disciple, definition of a disciple is a committed follower of Jesus, that as committed followers of Jesus, that all of us are called into the ministry to replicate our faith, to encourage other people to be faithfully following Jesus. So if we could, if we could just put up the pillars, you know, you say the, the, the mission of making disciples or followers of Jesus, you've probably seen this before, if you're relatively new, say this is what I call behavioralizing the mission. 
So the mission, if it's to make disciples, or we would say following Christ together, so it's both the means, but it's what we do, and also the means by which we make disciples, and we can behavioralize it. You'll notice what is crucial here. The, the foundation of the pillars is repentance. They say, well, that's a very religious word. Say, repentance is a wonderful word, and it means a turning. Turning, when we become Christians, we certainly repent when we become Christians, but it is, I would say, the very posture of a Christian. That each day we wake up and say, is there a turning in my life away from the world, the flesh, and the devil towards the lordship of Jesus? To say, Jesus is my savior and my lord, that I live for him and I turn from the world to him. There's a reason Luther, in those famous 95 theses, in the first thesis, he really lays this out. He says, you know, repentance is not just the one-time thing you do when you're converted, as important as that is, but it is the disposition, right? It's, it's one of the marks of a Christian to say, I'm turning away from the world, the flesh, and the devil towards Jesus. And everything's really built on that. And, and what I think I'm, I'm saying, like, are we really committed to Jesus? Are we going to be phony Christians or real Christians? See, we need now, our times call for real Christians. If you talk to those who have been disenchanted with the church, really what they're disenchanted with is phony Christians, not, not the real lordship of Jesus. So are we turning to him? Are we relying on him? Do we really take God at his word? I, I actually think there's a lot of pastors who don't really, really believe in God. That might shock you. Do we really believe that God is at work? Are we really turning to him? Okay, start at the left, corporate worship, that we come together to sit under God's word on a weekly basis. So Sunday morning, we always open God's word. The pastor and everybody else comes under God's word. We together work out what it says and then build each other up in those truths. We all, if you're converted, you have spiritual gifts that God's endowed you with spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up a local church family so that we might do ministry. So we come together with regularity. Personal devotions. Pastor Caleb will be talking more about this, but I, am I in God's word more than 25 minutes on a Sunday morning? I hope so. Um, do, are we confident enough to read the Bible to know what it says? Small groups. How am I practicing the one another's, to love one another, to carry one another's burdens? Do I know? You can't know everyone equally in a church family, but I hope that I know some. Service. Am I serving the church family? Am I doing anything sacrificially for the sake of this people, this group I call my church family? Evangelism, do I say the name of Jesus outside my church? Uh, can I share my faith? Have I ever shared my faith? I've been a Christian 30 years and I've never shared my faith. You say, well, is there an incongruity with, with what Jesus says and how we're living then? So today I'm talking about the last pillar on our diagram. This is making disciples, intentional reproduction. And I can think of no better passage to position our discussion than this 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. I'll read it once again because it's short. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men or women, women and women, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. 
Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So what's happening here? A couple broad sweeps. Let's see if we can unpack this. And what does it mean for us? How are we doing this? How are we making disciples? Who's responsible? So point number one, discipleship multiplies. That you can read this, especially given the context of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy say Paul really doesn't have much longer, that he's imprisoned. He's imprisoned in Rome. Uh, things aren't good. He's not healthy. He doesn't know how much longer he has. Is he writing Timothy to say, you know, I just, I need a successor? Say, look at the plurals. This is not merely about succession, but it is about multiplication. And there are, in fact, in verses uh, 2 and, well, in verse 2, there are, in fact, four generations. So 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, four generations. There's Paul. Paul's moving around the Mediterranean world saying, repent and turn to Jesus. That's how you're right with God. God sent his son into the world. He's the Messiah. Turn to him, repent, and come to him. And as he's doing this, he comes to the city of Derby, and he sees a young man there. And the young man, others speak well of him. He's already converted, but he's got some natural gifts. And Paul begins to invest in him. Now, wonderfully for us, Paul had to get Timothy circumcised. I'm relieved to say that is not a requirement for discipleship today, so that's an obstacle not in our way. But anyway, Paul sees this young man, and in a way, the rest is, is history. That Timothy begins to travel around with Paul. And we'll know from later that Paul is teaching Timothy about what it means to follow Jesus. He's giving him um, some content. And they build this relationship, and Timothy becomes a formidable leader in the early church, writes letters with Paul. Secondly, what's Timothy to do? You'll see there. So Paul to Timothy, and what you've heard in the presence of many witnesses, so the same things I've always taught you about what it means to follow Jesus, you're to entrust them to faithful men. Again, don't think male, but in Timothy, you know, men disciple men, women disciple women, to, to faithful people who be able to teach others also, but first, uh, faithful people. So Timothy is to find faithful people. There's two qualifications there. Faithful people who will be able to teach. A couple things I want us to see about that. Whenever there's parameters, if you will, for um, leadership in the church, I think always, I'm careful with superlatives, almost always, if not always, character precedes competence. For all the attention that we give to elder qualifications, overwhelmingly the qualifications are about character. Find faithful people. Find people who are really committed to Jesus. And from there, I think, you know, you say, well, we'll be able to teach. What does this mean? Does this mean teaching large groups. Well, see, that's actually quite rare in, in our faith, to, to teach large groups. A few people are called to that, but really, I don't think that's what this is about. Rather, it's about a, a willingness, an availability, a teachability to grow, to transfer um, what it means to obey Jesus. Can you see that? So faithful people, character, then competence, who can grow into an ability to transfer what it means to really follow the Lord Jesus. We have an, an acronym here. 
it's not very nice if you don't understand it, so I'm going to tell everybody in if you hear it. But you say, well, we, we look for fat people. Faithful, faithful, available, teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. Looking for somebody who's committed to the Lord Jesus, who's open to growing in their faith, who then has a willingness to say, I do desire to make, I do desire to replicate faith in an intentional way. Now, these faithful men, then here's your fourth generation. You got a Timothy, uh, sorry, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to the faithful people that he identifies, who then will be able to teach others, plural, also. So there's four generations, Paul, Timothy, faithful brothers and sisters, others, plural. It's about multiplication. Now you say, how in the world could a small church like ours, how in the world could we ever, and forgive this term, but kind of Christianize this little flank of Lorraine County? Say, well, actually, if this is true, if it's about multiplication, uh, then you're talking about exponential growth. Because as Paul would teach Timothy to go reach others, Paul's not then sitting back doing nothing. He's going on to continue his ministry. And as you do this, you say, as you're replicating the faith and as others take up the charge of saying, wait a second, this isn't just a deposit of content for me to, to, to sit on for, for perpetuity, but rather I'm to do something with it. I'm to go and make disciples. Then you're working not on an, a model of addition, but a, a multiplication model. Say, I've heard the eighth wonder of the world, compounding interest, right? It's amazing what you do if you have a penny and double it every day. <laughs> you end up with millions in 30 days. Why? Because of compounding interest. That's the model here. It's not an addition model. It's not a succession model. It's a multiplication model. You know, numbers in, a number in history have done this well. I couldn't resist. I wanted to bring up one of my favorite figures, though a deeply flawed man, John Witherspoon. Witherspoon was the longtime president of the College of New Jersey that we now know as Princeton. Uh, Witherspoon was the only active clergyman to sign the Declaration of Independence. That's why I'm endeared to him. So very keen Presbyterian minister. Now in that time, uh, something like 20 years or so, as he's the president of his college, he oversees the development of 450 young men. Of those 450 young men, 114 become pastors. And I could go down the line to say just how many went on to be leading statesmen, but so much so, so big is his impact, that in 1789, there's a meeting of uh, the leading Presbyterian pastors. There's 188 of them, and 52 were pupils of Witherspoon. That Witherspoon clearly had this ability to identify certain characteristics in others, to invest in them, to motivate them, and then allow them to, to replicate and to impact others. So that's the idea. Discipleship multiplies. Paul identifies Timothy, invests in Timothy. Timothy looks for faithful others who are faithful, available, teachable, willing to grow in their faith, wanting to grow in their faith, who then in turn will not stuff that information, but will go out on mission to invest in others. Now, a few practical things here. Our first responsibility in this matter is our children. 
If we've gone beyond our children in our mind, I think we've made a, a great mistake. I know not everyone in the room has children. I know many of our children are, are growing and flowing. But in a church as ours, which is a young church where there are many people say, God's entrusted me with these young people. My first responsibility is to teach my children how to really obey Jesus. Um, say, be tragedy to say, I never remember dad like ever talking to me about God or ever explaining why we go to church or what it means to follow Jesus. Not the lofty theological, rarely, you know, dad never waxed eloquence about predestination and free will, no. Um, Did my dad or my mom really teach me how to follow Jesus in the disappointments of life, the failures. You miss a kick in a big football game. Say, calm down. Lord Jesus is in control. Your value's not in that kick. Oh, great success. Look at all this stuff I've got. Easy. Lord Jesus is in control. All that's his. You get what I'm saying? In a church as ours, where 25% on a given Sunday can be under the age of nine, to me, one of our, what we're going to be judged for is like whether or not we've taught the young people in our church to follow Jesus. So we disciple our children. Now, with this whole matter of discipleship, say if I'm really serious about this, As I explained when I wrote Pastor Burnham a note and he called me in, there's a couple things that you just have to come to grips with. One is that there's elements of awkwardness, a favorite word of young people today. Say, well, isn't it going to be a little bit awkward if I start talking to somebody about things other than sports or the weather? Say, maybe, maybe. But Jesus hung on the cross in humiliation, so am I willing as a mature follower now, you know, approaching, am I willing to feel a bit awkward with somebody if it means developing a kind of strategy? Absolutely I am. It can be awkward. Can you feel rejection? You better believe it. When Jesus invested in Judas and Judas turned his back, and you read 2 Timothy, last night I reread 2 Timothy, say, I, you know, I always go to bed at 10 no matter what, especially on New Year's, but I've up, you know, ninth of receptivity. How many names he drops in this short little letter, I don't know, six or eight names of people who've bailed on him, of guys he's invested in, and they're like, well, so-and-so hit the road, and Hermogen, you know, he hit the road. So if you're saying, well, I'm only going to do discipleship if I don't feel, if I never feel awkward, and I never feel any disappointment or rejection, I just, I don't think that's the way it is. You'll invest in people for a time. They'll say no thanks. You'll invest in people for a time. They'll leave the faith. So awkwardness and rejection, we cheerfully follow Jesus and we obey him. All right, so that's why I think there are three metaphors, 2 Timothy 2. Do you see the three metaphors? Really rather straightforward, but first the soldier Share in the suffering as a good soldier. Say, we know that soldiers suffer. I I mean, it's extraordinary what they do for our country to leave their homes and their families, to go live and 
difficult situations that is that say yeah paul's saying this discipleship thing it's not like you know fluff but it, it but it can be hard to say if you meet somebody at 6 a.m on a thursday morning in order to invest in them you say was that suffering i don't know if it, but for for many of us say that is a, that is a sacrifice a am i willing to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom and notice you're doing this not for any other person. Please don't say, well, the, who, who enlists you? So we did get involved in civilian pursuits, which we're very good at getting involved in, in uh, riding the highs and lows of politics and other things. Say, no, I've been enlisted not by a pastor, but by Jesus himself. That when he's called me to himself, when he gave me a new heart, when he gave me his Holy Spirit, that he then commissioned me, that I'm enlisted in a phrase that used to be sung a lot, which is great, but in the army of Christ. In the army of Christ whose main weapon is love. So will I suffer? We could think of, will I make any sacrifices at all uh, for this calling? Secondly, the athlete who competes in order to win the prize, that I, again, you could say a lot here, but what athletes do, I mean, I, everybody seems to know that athletes require conditioning, that there's gotta be some input. I've stopped counting how many gyms there are in Avon. You say, I think there are more gyms in Avon than there are churches now, but uh, loads of church, you know, gym memberships, you know, so we gotta be conditioned. I remember reading about Bo Jackson. Remember Bo Jackson? He played two professional sports, and I'm like reading his workout regimen, and he'd you know, get up and run barefoot on the beach with a parachute on his back. I'm like, wow, you know, this is uh, just a really strict regimen, competing by the rules, that there is a competition, there's something on the lines. Hey, is there any sense of urgency for the American church? Any sense of urgency whatsoever? Because we don't talk about the reality that my neighbor who never thinks about Jesus is on his way to hell. Well, you didn't talk that way. Well, that's the fact. And what's Jesus going to say to me when I say, well, I put you there at 3294 Waterford in Avon for all those years. He didn't say Jesus one time to your neighbor? Because I don't want to do anything sacrificial. I don't have any sense of urgency. Or the farmer who's hardworking. Say, are we doing the work? Say, personal devotions. You know, to go back to personal devotions, to say, am I actually staying at it enough to grow in my faith? And quite frankly, friends, when we look at these, you say, these are intimidating metaphors. The, the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, this is a bit intimidating, but quite frankly, this is why so many people are bored in their faith because they say, what, what, what's worth doing when there's no sacrifice? We rarely attempt anything. If you think about it, say the, things that don't require any sacrifice are rarely worth doing. Anything that doesn't require a sense of urgency, we get pretty bored with. And anything that doesn't challenge me a bit, I get bored with. That's why the three metaphors say, if I can capture them, to say that, that there's a sacrifice required, there's a conditioning required, there's an input that's required, that my faith comes alive and says, you know what, no matter what's happened in my life, I got a real mission here. I got something to do. So I, a couple steps, or one step here. Can we make discipleship a natural part of our discourse at this church? Say, right now, I don't know if we talk about it much, but it should be very normal. Say, have you discipled anybody? Is anybody uh, discipling you? So we could bristle at that, maybe a little nervous. I think one thing we just say, make it a natural part of the family discussion. So we come together Sunday morning, it's our family time, made discipleship, and being discipled 
be baked into the cake. Natural part of who we are. Why? Because that's what it means to be followers of Jesus. So are we being discipled? Do I have an older man, in my case, speaking into my life, um, who I trust to correct and to steer me? And am I investing my life strategically in a faithful person who will then go on and teach, discipled and discipling? And may I say this too? I've talked a lot about the church. This is for the kingdom. Uh, This is not for Providence Church. Uh, There are people in this congregation who faithfully disciple in their place of work, and that person, because of their proximity or their own style preferences, will never come to a church like ours. That doesn't matter. We do this for the kingdom. It is for Jesus. Everything we do is for Jesus. So discipleship multiplies. Secondly here, discipleship includes content. Do you ever notice where conversation goes most of the... I mean, it it, it tends to go towards fluff. Um, You know, again... We, we talk a lot about weather, we talk a lot about sports, we talk a lot about the headlines, but when is it really that you can get down in there and really talk to people about the things that we care about, the things deep down that really shape us? And you'll notice here what the way Paul talks to Timothy, so take a look at 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. So you see there's a, a pattern of faithful discourse. If you go back... Another page, 1 Timothy and 6.3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with that godliness, that there is a discourse, there are these truths that we must apprehend. What I'm driving at here is this year, 2023, can we have an increased appetite for a greater command of God's word. All of us can grow in rightly handling God's word and his truth. And when I get to, again, together with someone, it's really easy to talk about the things that are safe that really don't shape us that much. But how do we get into conversations about things that we really are all longing for? Hope, identity, purpose, security, what happens when I die? See, these are universal Christian questions. Now, again, I'm going to pin this down a little bit more. We're going to talk about, some, I'm going to we'll try something new with technology. Say, this makes me apprehensive, way more apprehensive than public speaking. So here we go. Not because of them, but because of me. So you say, well, where, where, where do I get the content? How can I, let me just give you a, very pra- a couple of very practical things today. Tom Petersburg who, again, Tom would be embarrassed if I'm calling attention to him, but just has faithfully served the Lord a long time, was instrumental in the founding of our church, really has devoted his life to discipleship. He's now put all these resources on. Oh, is that, sorry, is the video playing? Is that okay? Oh, thank you, thank you, okay. So, Catapult Ministries. I've got it written on your notes, okay? Catapult Ministries. Tom has assembled over years, this is many decades of gestation, and he's put it all on there. So is this, uh, is the video, so set your foundation here. You see if it's gonna play again, okay. So this is the main page of Catapult Ministries. You click on discipleship, set your foundation, perfect. And there it is, this is a PDF of eight truths that stabilize your faith. You can walk, if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you can walk someone through that. If you go back out and you scroll down, 
the roadmap for discipleship, if you say, well, what is all this about? This lays it all out, and at the very end in the, in the appendices, it talks about all the different ways that you can disciple somebody. It's a very helpful website. Everything on there is responsible. You go to Catapult Ministries. It works for women. It works for men. So just to set your foundation, it's eight. It's called Eight Truths That Stabilize Your Faith. And they're in, again, in your notes. Base your security in Christ. So this is understanding the gospel. Say a lot of us say it's Jesus alone. It's grace alone. But then we we default back to a works-oriented consciousness to say, wait, it's all of Jesus and none of me. Am I delighting in his grace? Am I secure? in my faith. Claim your new position in Christ. What happens when you're converted? Embrace God's love and forgiveness. Be empowered for living. Communicate with the sovereign God. That's prayer. Grow in Christ. Can I grow in my faith? How does God use trials? A lot of us have a question. They say, well, does God use the hard things in my life to grow us? You better believe it. Encountering God's character. Fight your spiritual battles that being a Christian's hard work. That these eight areas, if you think about them, are not what we call the heavy theological questions. They are theological, but really what they're doing, they're aimed at practical obedience, understanding God and living as his disciple. So that's content, more content that I'll talk about in a moment with practical Christian living. Remind me to come back to that. So just two swoops here I wanted you to see. Discipleship is about multiplication, it's about intentional reproduction. If you're a mature Christian, identifying others, investing in them strategically so that they go out on the mission of the Savior. Secondly, discipleship includes content. Uh, how, how can I get the content? Well, there's one example of a really practical way to get content, to look it over, to meet with somebody, and to begin to walk them through the basics, or better yet, you say, well, I don't know about that. Begin by taking someone you, you know well. In the, say, okay, well, I, I don't know if I'm ready to you know, quite get there with somebody who's now you know, a stranger, but if you have somebody you know in the church family, say, let's do set your foundation together with the aim of praying about identifying a person that we can pass it on. Say, that's a, that's a, a very doable thing for us this year. La lastly then, discipleship always involves relationship. It's, it's not just content transfer. Jesus ministered to crowds. He did. He commissioned a group of 72, pretty big group. He spent more time with 12 and a whole lot of time with three, Peter, James, and John. Why did he do that? You ever think about that? Say, Jesus, I would think, a lot of us think, well, if you're going to have the biggest impact, you talk to the crowds. Say, Jesus knew that you impact people through relationship. Whatever you make a relationship, you know, I'm an island, I, you know. At some point in our lives, we long for meaningful relationship. You think, think of the people who've impacted you most in life to say, this is a person who really shaped me who loved me and cared about me, my guess is you had a relationship with them. It wasn't just a TED Talk. You can say, well, that was an influential TED Talk. It changed the way that I did life. Yeah, fair enough. But I'm talking about the, the personal touches that say, you know, that, that is a, a relationship that has been of great value in my life. And I'd hate for any of us to miss out on that. You know, let's think about it in a more sobering way. But, you know, New Year, you're thinking about all kinds of things. You know, think about your own funeral. Say, 
who's going to say what about me? Well, he was a pretty good time in the pub. Say, so wouldn't it be great? Say, so you know what? We had coffee every month. We hit sports and headlines a little bit, but we talked about serious things, deep things. And I know that this person had a real faith in Jesus, that this was really significant. And I know that eternity is different because of how this person lived their life. Say so that this invitation, friend, comes to a church like ours this year. Men, just to call attention, Alan, I saw Alan down here, fourth row, Alan, her, elder at our church, starting this week. Alan will be leading something called Practical Christian Living. It's a big sacrifice. It's 22 consecutive weeks, I think, with Easter week off. But it's a big sacrifice. 22 weeks. Say, Alan's a great guy. You've got nothing to fear there. Um, And what Alan will do is just begin to work with a small group of guys and take them through Practical Christian Living with the aim of when June comes around that each of those guys will go out and guess what? Take a guy through practical Christian living because it multiplies. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know, I've been a Christian a long time and it's just a bit stale right now because your view of being a Christian is hearing a sermon. Say it's way, way more adventurous and exciting than that. That you're called to minister on behalf of the King of Kings, that you're invited to shape things for eternity, that you're a part of God's people for a small window of time. And there are avenues in our church and beyond to do that. But are you willing, are we willing as a church to raise the bar to say, look at what's happening to our culture? Say, are we going to do the nominal Christian thing? Are we going to say, no, this is serious? And I'm going to take the steps as a sacrificial soldier, as an athlete that's competing, there's a real sense of urgency, as a hard-working farmer, you know this, I'm going to take it, I'm going to take this discipleship thing seriously because Christ has called us to that. Ladies, for you, materials work just as well, woman on woman. How about one of the Bible studies that Kathy and the team has put on? I said, well, I don't really know any of the ladies. How in the world? The best discipleship relationships come organically. You say, it's not, you know, I could match everybody up. Say, I don't think that would be the way to go, but have it happen organically. Paul's passing through Derby, letting the river flow. He says, there's a young guy, kind of connect, begins to invest in him. So here's the point today, key point. Let's make discipleship a priority in 2023. All the charges in Scripture to go deeper in our faith, may that be true for us, uh, that we take this seriously, that we invest life on life for the sake of the kingdom. Discipleship multiplies. Discipleship includes content, a teaching that accords with godliness, and discipleship involves real relationship so that we might have an impact for Jesus. So I'll pray and invite the team up. Lord, we thank you for your plan. Uh, your plan to call people to yourself, and as it's always been, that we would be salt and light to the nations that help us to see that in, in ways that only you understand that you've called this group of people together and that the way that we make disciples is that each one of us, as a kingdom of priests, would take our faith seriously, that we would put in the time, that we would prayerfully consider uh, how we might replicate our faith. 
Lord, for our church family, I pray that we would move beyond, uh, you know, that this is occasionally mentioned to say this is a regular part of our discourse to say, yes, I'm being discipled and I'm discipling someone else, that it's not um, off-putting or, or, or awkward in the church, but rather to say this is what Jesus has called us to, that we would identify faithful people who in turn would invest in others. And Lord, all this so that the name of Jesus may be lifted high. Amen.